On today's episode, Dave interviews Judy Carter. Judy's a stand-up, a magician, and a motivational speaker. She's the author of four books on self-improvement and comedy, including The Message of You and The Comedy Bible, one of the essential books on stand-up comedy. I'm Ian Foley, and this is ADD Comedy. So and who's your audience? Just tell me who your audience is. Uh, my audience is uh, probably the people that I talk to, uh, <laughs> talk to me, are people who are students of improvisation, who oh, okay. are students of comedy, who Great. are students of, there's a lot of people who are just paying attention to, uh, who are tuning in because they're spiritual, because a lot of what we're doing, and it's not touchy-feely, and I know that there's, uh, the one thing that I really want to kind of step away, not step away from, because I do embrace it, is that, okay, life is like this, because it's all about, let's deal with what's going on, let's emotionally deal with what's going on in the moment, because that's the healthiest way to, to do things. So I think that uh, the emails that I get from a lot of people have to do with, uh, you've, you've, you've opened up my eyes to accept the life that I have right now. That's awesome. I'm so glad to meet you, because that, this is exactly what my new book is about. Is it? Yeah, what do you it's mean? exactly about this. In what way? Um, well, the title of it it's, is called The Message of You, Finding mm -hmm. Extraordinary Stories in Ordinary Day. Because when you ask someone to tell a story, they go to their uh, tried and true story. You know, everybody's got that funny story, and there I was, the toilet paper, ha ha, and then everybody has that story of, and then they died. Right. And then, and then the dog she died. left me, he right. left me. So we all have these very intense life moments that become these stories. Right. But the truth of it is um, there are stored stories in ordinary day that, that I believe contain the message of who we are. I believe the universe is giving us messages of what we stand for, what our legacy is, in the smaller stories. So I've designed, I tried to keep a journal. It was just like, what a, what a mess that was. What a train wreck that was. You know, Who when you to go through that. Well, yeah. you just like, oh, I ate too much. It was all about like, <laughs> like my <laughs> poor eating habits or how fat I have, how much weight I've gained or how much, it was just whining. And it was such a, you know, narcissistic narration of just horrible boring stuff. And I went, how can I capture what happened today in a way that I can use the stories in speeches, in a TED talk, or just maybe to know what I stand for? To know who you are. Right. So I... What you're, what you're talking yeah. about is, is you're saying, how can I use these for my, to, to express my voice, to discover my voice? And I don't mean tone and timbre. I mean the voice of who it is that you are in this moment that we're in right now. Yes, absolutely. And also to give my life meaning. Because, you know, we have these things that we, oh, we're going to remember this, or um, we never do. And it, I loved listening to David Sedaris talk about how every day he records snippets of dialogue, little things that happen, and look what he does with it. He's, he's made an amazing career out of writing short stories. But you don't have to be a writer. You can, you can, just use it so that, you know, when they tell the story of your life, it's not at a funeral. You, you tell you're, you're not going to be able to like correct them. Like you're, you're dead and they're going, no, it's not, didn't happen that way. What? And so I, because I needed it, this is why the only reason I write books is because. How many books do you? 
Oh, geez. Um, you at least five, right? This is going to be my fifth one. This is five, okay. And I went like, um, I need to write a book that so I I can read it. Like, I when I was doing stand-up, I went, oh, my God. I how can't keep coming you, up with material. How long did you do stand-up? 17 years. And then did you one day say, I have evolved into something else? When did you? You're not, you're not doing. You know what I mean. You're not doing yeah. stand-up now. No, you're no, doing, I'm not doing stand-up. What you've stand -up. done is you've, you've, um, uh, how, how can I say? You, you've evolved out of the stand-up into what you're doing right now. Well, I wouldn't use the word evolve because stand. I have great respect for stand-up comics. I'm not saying. I'm not saying anything bad <laughs> about stand-up. Like, I'm saying. Very evolved, saying, yeah. No, I get it, and I'm not saying that's not evolved. I'm saying you evolved. You have you took well, the foundation yeah. of stand-up, and then you took it to what it is that you needed to do. You became this creature based upon the foundation of your stand-up foundation. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So I'm not saying God knows I'm I I love stand-ups. <laughs> so I, hard. And I respect them. It is a it is. Well, I've been very fortunate on on how to make a living. I'm doing what I love doing. I know exactly what you're talking about. I've been very, very fortunate. So I've written books to help others do the same. Um, but I, I remember the moment that I stopped doing stand-up. Um, I was in New York. I had a series of about 10 gigs. I think I was 32 at the time. And I um, was in New York. My dog got mugged. Your dog got mugged. Yeah, a little schnauzer, Walter, and these two great, big, I don't know what they were, just mauled him. He's bleeding. The kids were laughing. I grab him. He's blood everywhere. I'm trying to get a cab, get in a cab, get him to the vet. I get him to the vet. I Then I just start sobbing, please. Oh, I got to go to work. Work now? What do you do? I'm a stand-up comic, you know, and then I get to the club governors in Long Island where God tilted, you know, the world and the scum of the earth came to, was in that audience that night. And I'm being heckled like, you suck. We hate you. And that's while I was walking onto the stage. Oh, Jesus, you didn't even open your mouth yet. No, it's like gladiator. It was right. vicious. And I remember. So wait, was, was this at a time where where the audience didn't understand stand-up, or they were just they were just the scum of the earth. It was like were... in the early '90s, and um, when everybody and their mother was a stand-up, yep. and the yep. and um, it wasn't the days where we there was a bunch of us, a group of us. I think there was no one else on the road but but me and Elaine Boozler. But we were um, you know honing and honing, and then the market got flooded. You know, next thing that. you know, I like. My gynecologist is here's your pap smear, and oh, come see me. I'm playing the comedy store. I clearly remember every <laughs> single play. If you had four chairs and a table and a, a light, a lamp, someone was going to give you, you. You and people were making money though, Judy. Weren't they making money? Yeah, it was. It was. It, we called that the gravy train days. You know, yep. 80s and the 90s. And While you were in the middle of it, did you realize? Yeah. Were you thinking that this could not last? Because I well, I it was just thinking, a personal moment for me. When I was doing a setup at this gig at Governor's, and I said, I'm worried about getting old. And somebody said to me, and I'm 32 at the time, getting old. And I, this was a moment where I looked at the audience, and it looked like a Fellini film with distorted faces and drunk. And I, and I had this eureka moment. Right in that moment, I went, making alcoholics laugh is something I did at the dinner table, you know? 
and there's so many other comics, I don't have to do this anymore. There's like millions of people who could take my place. I walked off stage. I picked up my dog the next day. I went back to LA. I had to tell um, Rick Messina, who was booking, who became Drew Carey's manager, I, I'm counseling all my gigs. Can't do it anymore. And then I had a willingness to, what will I do? I don't know. I just, I didn't know what to do with my life. I just rented an office, was an office share, and I figured, like, let me see what it's like to go to work. And I would just go there every day. To do what? Nothing. I had nothing to do, but I thought, like, I would act as if. Mm -hmm. People say, what do you do? I went, nothing. And I guess they thought I was in management or Mm -hmm. something. But a woman said, well, uh, can you... Do you want to type? Do you type? I went, I'll hire you to type. I went, sure, I'm willing to do anything. Anything. And so this is the magic that happens when you open yourself and surrender to I'm willing to do anything, do something different, because what's what I am doing is not working for me. Well, her name's Linda Edelman, and she ri- writes books. And she said, you should write a book. Ah, I don't know how to write. I got D's in English. Well, what I write about? Well, what do you know? I know how to do stand-up. Well, write, teach other people how to do it. I can't do that. Let me try. Wrote it, 59 rejection letters. Then I met Annette Wells, my agent, and she loved it. It was published by Random House. They wow. loved it. There was one other woman who loved it, Oprah Winfrey. This was my first book called Stand-Up Comedy, the book. Next thing I know, I get a call. Oprah's creating a show around you. She's going to have housewives who do comedy. You're going to come on as the expert that has written the book, teaching these women how they can turn their problems into punchlines, because that's my belief about what, everything. What a, what a slug line. She held up my book. On the show. On the show. And my life and career have never been the same. Yeah. And, and if you look, it came from that moment of standing on stage and being heckled and going, this feels horrible. This is no longer working for me. I don't know what I can do. I don't have a lot of money saved. My mother had died. I was, I was just a mess. And, and I turned my life around. I am so grateful. I mean, you know, people say, do you set goals? I never have any goals. I never set goals. I don't set goals. <laughs> Someone calls and say, hey, can you do a workshop here? I go, sure. Right. Or can you write this? Okay. Right. <laughs> no, I, I, I totally agree with, with that, that whole thing because I feel like, and what you just said, because when you say, I don't set goals, and then you say, somebody asked me to do something, that's what I'm going to do. That's exactly what I do. And I, I got to tell you, my 2015 looks pretty packed already. And I didn't set out and go, I want to go here, 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 and here. I might have done that a while ago, but what ends up happening is there's a momentum that happens once you say yes to all these things. And the yes is what brings all these awesome things to you. That's the core of improv. Isn't that what you teach? Yes, and? Well, it's the core of improv, but it's also the core of life. And I think that one of the things that I do, and you do it as well, certainly, is to realize that there isn't a firewall up between what it is that we do to make a living, those of us who can. There's no firewall up between how how we make a living and how we live our lives. Because if you live your life with that feeling of, I'm going to be taken care of, then you're going to be taken care of. If you say, I am going to make a living, you are also saying, I am going to live my life as well. Does that make sense? Yes. And when we, when we live 
when we live, when we realize that, of going, huh, and I love that you use the word surrender because that's what it is. It's letting go of that which no longer serves you. It served you. And you've got to look at that Fellini movie crowd in Long Island, and you get to look at those people and go, I got to thank you. I've got to thank you. I get to thank you. I get to thank you for, for helping me again evolve. Yes. I, I think every turning point in my life has, I've ended up being grateful for a mess because that mess led to success. It's interesting because it's not a mess. Feels like it. <laughs> it. It feels like it in the middle it of it, but, but you're also looking at going, oh, um, uh, Reverend Michael Bernard Beckwith from the Agape Spiritual Center, I don't know if you know who he is, mm -hmm. but he said uh, whenever he's in a situation that appears to be a mess, he just kind of sits back and says, I cannot wait to find out how the universe takes care of this one. Um, and that's just a freeing feeling to go, we always are taken care of. Yes, yes. And I... Actually, my, my last book that I wrote realized that in such a huge way. Uh, it's called The Message of You. It's right here. And I, if you look at the word message, you can't spell message without a first four letters. A mess. Which is a mess. And, you know, when I wrote the book, it was, it was really facing me the whole time. And you can't see that mess for what it is without the last three letters, age. It's a and message. What? It's a message. Yeah, it's, it's like you need this kind of perspective to see the meaning of um, what 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 happens to you. And then I have found this amazing career that I had no idea existed, where people just pay me a lot more than they paid me to be a stand-up comic to just tell stories and talk but there has to be a message and that's the big difference between a stand-up comic and a professional speaker stand-up comics um, I'm talking about people who are not celebrities non-celebrities um, I'm not on television a lot or anything but they get paid a lot more because speakers have something comics don't now when I speak I'm being very funny it's like stand-up but because I have a message to give to others, to inspire them, to help them be, make their work life a little more bearable, because of that, I get hired an awful lot uh, to speak and bring, bring some levity to the cubicles. I mean, corporate America is pretty humor impaired now. So, <laughs> humor impaired. Yeah, so that's... that's I had no idea, there was no career day at high school going like, oh, you can travel the world just doing one hour speeches and people pay for you to go first class. And I go, I mean, nobody, it's this hidden, goofy profession. Well, your, your job and my, you, what you've done and what I've done as well, it's very similar. What we have done is we have realized that we have the, that the job that we have is who we are. I get paid to be Dave Rizaski. That's that's what I, I get paid to be. And one day I woke up and went, oh, oh, that's what I do. I do me. And there is no job description. The job description is your name, Judy Carter. That's your job description. And no one else has had that job. No one else can have that job. You were the one that was born to take that job. You have that job. And because you have that job, you are 
you have the greatest boss in the world, you have the greatest employees in the world, you get to take time off and nobody's going to complain about it. You get to you get to give yourself a raise and you get to give yourself a bonus and all that stuff. Try telling the IRS that's why all my meals are deduct deductible because I'm thinking actually the IRS did contact me and I did give them that argument. Oh, it wasn't the IRS. It was the um, uh, Business License Board and they said, um, you owe Los City of Los Angeles. Oh, yeah, yeah, City. No, I, I've, got, I've, got one, I've got something sitting on my desk right now. I gotta pay right, my, pay right, my, right, yeah. right. And they said, <clears throat> well, you know, you owe us all this money for all the books you wrote and everything. And I went, really? You know what? I have a cabin in Big Bear Lake at 7,000 feet altitude and I'm not funny at sea level. <laughs> so I wrote, you know, like these jokes. I, I thought of them in that cabin, which I believe is in a different city. So I'm not that funny in LA. <laughs> so she had to she had to go to her supervisor and then they said if you don't pay this tax, we're we're gonna confiscate your business. And I go, well, what does that mean? Does that mean you're gonna take my jokes? Yes, we are. Anyway, she was like really serious, so they don't know how to handle what people like like and how to tax what we do. Mm -mm. I, I, I remember I stood and did a show and I went, by the way, any joke that I tell in this show has the taxes have not been paid on this material. Just one note. So if you laugh, you do so at your own risk. Well, anyway, the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times covered this. It ended up to be this huge, because it was funny. And right. that's what you and I do. We right. take what happens in our life that feels like it's being taxed or being attacked or something and then we glean um, how can we use this right so even a situation like a messy situation like that with the city of Los Angeles coming mm -hmm. down on me turned into a hysterical story that got like pictures next thing you know everybody's you know like what classifies as a business can right. you tax creative people and here's what happened from that that's when they decided that they couldn't and they changed the law and I was the one who did that. That's when Los Angeles County, the County of Los Angeles said, it's kind of- you, There's a creative <clears throat> exception now. Right. That was because right. of me. So that's awesome. <laughs> Isn't that so funny? Much. We thank you so much. <laughs> um, I, I, that is, because I was thinking about that same thing. Like, this is my office. My home is my office. This is where I work mm -hmm. and I do a lot of business here and I think, how, how do you separate what it is that I'm doing? How do you, how do I pay taxes on any of that stuff? How do I do that? How do I do that? Why do I do that? Um, what what you're? It's so great to to talk to you. First off, I just want to tell you. Also, I can't tell you how many people I have sent your way. I don't know if they've ever taken your classes. How often do you teach classes? Um, not very often. Uh -huh. I do one weekend a year in L.A. One in New York one in Vancouver, and they seem to sell out really quickly. And what I've been doing lately is um, I do one day of storytelling, like finding extraordinary stories, and then I do one day of a punch-up on those stories. Got it. And it's based on The Message of You and also on book. the other book, The Comedy Bible, uh -huh. which is, although it was written quite a long time ago, is still... People love that book. It's being translated now into uh, Spanish, Arabic, and Mandarin. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of cool. So, um, and then sometimes I do, like, I'll do a speech 
Um, you know, how to write a TED Talk kind mm -hmm. of thing. I'm going to be doing that in Palm Springs. But um, mostly I'll just, I'll just do weekends. And then what I also do is people want to work with me. I'm a coach on finding their message, writing their speech. That's a whole thing via Skype where we just build on their stories and what they have and, and also their credentials. You just can't be a speaker. Oh, I'm an expert. I'm a life coach. Well, uh, you why? know, why? What qualifies you? You're unemployed. You've never had a, you know, right. you're living in your car. Right. Which could uh, you could also be a life coach living in your car. You could do that. Mm, That's possible. You have to have some credentials of success. I've lived in my car for two and a half years. That's a credential for success. You know, just well, say, from, from like, there's a hugely um, successful speaker, and I can't remember her name offhand right now. She's in my book, The Message to You, but her speech is from homeless to Harvard. Mm -hmm. So there has to be from and a to. Got it. You can't go from my house to my car. Yes, that's not good. It has to be the opposite of that. So if you are living in your car and now you've developed a successful business, mm -hmm. that's the first step in, in finding what your speech is. Because then what happens is how, then a lot of people don't feel they're successful. But it's not in traditional terms. You have to look at your life and go, where did I go from to? Like I've been, you know unmarried and divorced and terrible relationships and I found someone I really love. Okay, that's a from and a to as well as success. It. Right. The next step what I do when I coach people is like, how did you do that? Okay. So most people were just like aimlessly going through life, trying things, but not realizing what we're doing. Mm -hmm. So this process makes you look at what I call action steps. Mm -hmm. What action steps did you take? And then what you can do is you realize, oh, I did this, and that got me from A to B. And then those steps become what I call your methodology that is actually worth something in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. It becomes your seven steps for prosperity, for me, or those become your steps that become a book, a TED Talk, an idea, as Ted says, an idea we're sharing. I hope your listeners know what TED oh, yeah, Talks yeah, yeah, are. Yeah, okay. Yeah. We, got, we got everybody mm -hmm. smart. Good. Listen to this. Um, so for you... Poor that, people listening here going, I don't know what oh it God. is. And they're, how they're, great is it that, that right now you get, you get to realize I don't know it. what that is. It's sort of like somebody <laughs> who's never seen The Godfather. You go, oh, you're so lucky. You get to see The Godfather now. You're so yeah. lucky. You get to find out all that TED Talk stuff. Um, so for you, it was that moment that you went, I don't want to do this. And then it was the moment that you said... I am going to get a an office and see what happens. That was your transform. That was your transformative moment in that. Moment. Yes, I've, I apparently, you know, when I was a little girl at eight, I uh, had a ma I was a magician. I had a magic show business, and uh, I think I was like learned entrepreneurial skills. Then I had a database. I had a recipe box with all my customers, and I'm eight years old. Every year, calling them back. Hey, Mrs. Silverman, you know, we were at Johnny's birthday last year. Oh, he's five. He's how five. Looking at the index card, he's five now. Gee, you know, we've added the accordion, and I am sure that your kids would just love the new magic trick. So I was upselling at eight. Right. 
I was like repeat customers, working it, working it. And, and I learned at an early age that you have to give people value. You have to give your faith. Like I give away people on my mailing list. I'm constantly going like, here's a casting notice. Mm -hmm. right. Here's, here's um, someone giving this for free, that for free, this for, you know. Do you, you do know. this on MailChimp or do you? MailChimp. Do you, do I do, do MailChimp yeah. and then I have a Facebook page, right. you know, right. and I just feel like, and everybody who writes me gets an answer. I just love the people who follow me and I try and go, what can I give them? And I write a blog each week with as you know, here's how you can make a living from doing what you love doing. Right. Because I know it naturally, but a lot of people don't. How did you, so, so knowing it naturally, the driving force behind that is excitement, isn't it? To go, oh, I think I could do this. I know I can do this. I can do this. Isn't that what it is? Well, I, I, I think what it is, it's the excitement of ideas, but it's, it's, not exactly that, because everybody I know has ideas. Everybody has, you know, balloons above their head with their ideas. Like I look in the street and I go, I wonder what his ideas are, <laughs> those ideas are. And it's, it's to really make your ideas happen when you're not excited by them, when the excitement wears off and you, you, um, you have the ability to sustain your vision when things, when the first obstacle hits the second, the third, the fourth, mm -hmm. navigate around those obstacles, keeping your eye on what the end result is going to be, mm -hmm. what what you want, and it it's it's. It, but that end result. I wouldn't wish this on on everybody because it be uh, again. It it occupies a lot of hard drive space in your brain in the middle of making love, <laughs> you know, wait, hold it right there. I have to write this down. Yes. So it, you really don't have a personal life. Do you feel that you have sacrificed a personal life for the life that drives you? I used to, um, not anymore. Um, you know, I'm in a relationship um, that understands this. I find it's just for myself really difficult to find um, time to turn it off because not every idea deserves pursuing and sometimes I have killed myself pursuing stupid ideas that were um, just not really something I was passionate about something I thought would make me money right and I don't find those are the ideas worth pursuing no 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 I think that I what I think about when, when you say oh this that there's no job there's no job description, there's no you know, job fair, career day that teaches you this. There's the idea, what you end up discovering is you can make money, but underneath it all, you have to be satisfied with what you're unfolding and furling and evolving, who it is that you are in that moment. And I think that it's a young person's gambit to go, I'm gonna make as much money as I can possibly make. And I think at the end of the day, you go, yeah, I got money, but I feel empty. I feel like I'm not a success or whatever that is. I feel like something's missing. And I, I think about, and you probably think about this too, I think about the people that I've worked with who have made a tremendous amount of money and who have just amazing 
class A success, A-list success. And I feel like I look at what I have in the life that I live, and I feel like I am, I've got everything I've wanted. Mm -hmm. I don't know that there's anything else that I really... I, I know that there are things that I go, oh, that would be an interesting thing to do, but money doesn't have a lot to do with it. Well, I happen to really um, like money. Mm -hmm. I don't not like I, money. I, I don't find the two happiness and money having a lot... You know, to have money doesn't mean you're going to be unhappy. Um, I learned at it. I was grew up in L.A. and I was not. A, I love Superman and I love Cheetos and I love candy. And at a very early age, my parents would say, "You're not allowed to. You're too obsessed. You're not allowed to buy new comics. You're not allowed to buy this. You're not allowed to buy that." So when I'm doing this magic show business, I could buy whatever the hell I wanted. And I learned at an early age how fat fantastic that feels mm -hmm. that that I could like make a living doing these shows and then I understood the power of money to have what I want and then I actually learned the secret of how to make money and it's the secret of um, everything that I do every book that I've written it rules my life and that is it's not about me it's about them so everything I do is what and and this is the secret to making money if you do a product that is not good for other people no one's going to buy it whether it's a one person show whether you write a book whether whatever it is you have to be in touch not with only the passion that drives you but you have to really know your audience and your fans so that's why I'm always asking them. Or like, let's just say I have a gig. I did a gig for a pharmaceutical company. Well, I say, hey, can I talk to like three people? I want to talk to them about stress because I'm going to be joking about the stress you go through. And we're doing, you know, we're doing, um, I'm doing a speech on stress is a laughing matter. And so I talk to them. And I find out that all three of them, uh, the cafeteria is always out of spoons. <laughs> <laughs> From the small stress to the larger overload of um, responsibility that they have to, oh, that they are in, um, they have to in the morning talk to um, Europe. And so it's very often at 5 a.m. And so I'm always like doing jokes like, do you go, how many of you? Uh, wake up at 3 a.m. to go to the bathroom and you're checking your email on the way back to bed. Now what are you dreaming of? Like, oh my God, right, I'm right. running to Nigeria to get my million dollar inheritance. You know, whatever that is. <laughs> <laughs> and there is a cute cat, grumpy cat, trying to sell me in a reverse mortgage. You know, so whatever the jokes come from. So, so now my speech is going to hit a home run because I made it about their favorite topic. Mm -hmm. Them. Right. So if, you, if what you're doing has value for others, and it's very difficult to walk that line, like if you're just doing material about deeply personal issues yourself, you have to really find what is the bridge where I can connect other people. I think a really great example of this is Rob Becker, who did a one-person show, I think the most oh, yeah, 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 successful yeah. show ever. Oh, he was a stand-up comic. Yeah. Was that the show about the caveman? caveman? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Well, that, it, and no one was doing that at, at that time. No one else. Had oh, been doing men that are different than women. I mean, right. it was a pretty cliche thing. Even the clubs at that point, mm -hmm. you know, men and women are different. Here, are the differences. But he went. You know who'd really dig this? Couples therapists. And then he offered tickets to therapists, um, and he packed his showrooms. He found his audience. Right. It was deeply personal. It was about his marriage and his relationship and. Didn't he also, um, didn't he have other people do that show too? I oh gosh, He's, he, he had like HBO offered him millions of dollars to put on, he went no. Mm -hmm. Because I can have this show running in every city, cast myself as somebody else. He doesn't even do the show. No. But it's a perfect example of someone who knew who his audience was right. and he ended up on Broadway with I, it. I think what's also exciting to me in that is I have this idea, or someone's saying, I have this idea, this is what I'm going to do, and then pursuing it, and then all the, the avenues that it takes in order for him to get to, this is what's happening right now. It's happening. What I've wanted to happen has happened. And how exciting it is to have an idea and to follow through on that in different venues and for him to go, how can I get more people in here? Oh, couples therapy. Couple therapist. That's how to do that, and how, and that light that goes off, and then suddenly it's sort of Oprah show holding your book. Like what? It, that must have been a, such a surreal moment for you. Um, it was. It was a. Unfortunately, I don't show that clip because I have such big hair. Um, and it was in the late nineties, uh -huh. you know, early nineties, and my hair was. It was like oh, I, I I did put on my website for a laugh, but anyway. Um, you know, Oprah held up my book and said, Judy Carter can show you how to make your sense of humor pay off. Well, I took that quote and I used it yep. to establish myself yep. as an expert. And um, Did you feel at the time that you were an expert? Oh, gosh, I don't feel sitting here that I'm an expert. You don't. I, I, I never, I'm always searching. And I, I, I find that most experts feel... Um, fraudulent because and, and I think then you really are an expert because um, you know you, how can we be an expert we're going to die <laughs> we don't really know what it's all about but I feel like I got very good at certain things mm -hmm. I got very good at writing I got very good at um, being an entrepreneur mm -hmm. and very good at um, I'm very intuitive when I work with people, and I'm able. It's just amazing um, to the questions that come into my head. I don't know where they come from, but they seem to hit home with people. We had pulling, but when you say the questions, you're saying pulling in for, pulling personal things from them. Is that what you mean? Well, the, I just get this insight. I, like this guy, older man, was on stage in my workshop, and he was really boring. He was talking about something about work and it just wasn't hitting people or uh, you know and i just said out of the clear blue sky tell me about your relationship with your father and that hit home and he started going oh he was very very abusive and very domineering never said anything you know and i said stand like him act him out mm -hmm. be him mm -hmm. and he did that mm -hmm. then the next question came out Tell me about your kids. Mm -hmm. He goes, oh, they're terrific. They're very successful. So I said, so you are a successful father, right? Because your kids aren't on drugs. They have great jobs. They're married. They have kids. 
He goes, now he didn't get that he was an expert. So I said, you're an expert father. Right. Because this is judging by the results. Right. So that expertise was a surprise to him. And then I said, I want you to do the scene for me when you, it just came out of you, you were exactly like your father to your kids and you realized that you couldn't do that. He fell apart, but like you got, he got, everybody got goosebumps. And he did his father, but to his kids. And uh -huh. I go, now tell me what you realized. Uh -huh. And I said, this is what your speech is about. About not, what, it's not about like customer, he was doing some customer service. It had nothing to do with what, what was in his heart. And, and we got so quickly to this core mm -hmm. of his expertise. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't know where these questions come from. I just, uh, intuition, but I love that moment. And I love creating moments like that. Mm -hmm. Whether I'm working with someone in a workshop or in, in front of a group of people. And it comes back to what you said, Dave. The power of being present, like you're, 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 you're with an audience and it's not happening. It's just not happening. And you call the moment and everybody goes, wow. Right. You call the moment. You call the moment. Because everybody is in that moment and what's happening is you've gotten away from that moment and the moment that you call the moment, you watch, and so what do you remember from that guy? You remember that everybody got goosebumps. You remember that he fell apart, whatever that means. To, to anybody hearing that, but you were, you remember that moment. Well, he fell apart in terms of his wall fell apart. I understand. I understand. That that's not what I'm saying. Yeah. Is we remember those moments. We we remember the action. We remember the activity. We remember the spatial relationship and the shape. We remember the tempo at which somebody said something. We remember stopping time. Stop. We remember the goosebumps that we got. Mm -hmm. We remember those things that uh, is about. And you you use the word heart. The things that all connect us all, because my brain is different than your brain. But if I say, dog gets hit by car, your heart goes, mm -hmm. you know? But if I say, customer service, it's like, what the hell does that even mean? But if I say, deathbed, you're like, oh, my heart hurts. If I say, father loves child, oh, that's it. Again, if I say, you know, a, a customer service, you go, oh, Jesus, what is that? Why do we, why? Why are you talking to me about that? Well, it's because it comes from the brain. And I think things from the brain, ideas or things are a bit cerebral. And I think to well, really what, connect yeah. to your audience, like we, we have been talking about making a living from your passion, what you love to do, that it's a, it, in the end it's about connecting to people. And what a better way to connect to people is when you're just simply who you are and be honest about it. And I think a lot of people don't know how don't know how to do that, um, or don't give themselves permission to be who it is that they are. I don't they, think you can do it alone. No, no, no. What you need is you need a guide to show you, someone to say to you, I think, to say to you, and this is what I do in my classes, is to say to somebody, stop, what are you feeling at this moment? Because right now, you're showing me a scene that I've seen already, and I'm not interested in that at all. What I need to see is, what's your personal interpretation about what the hell's going on right now? And people go, well, uh, and I go, tell me, tell me, we've got time. We've got time. I'm not here to teach you how to be funny. I'm here to teach you, and, and I think this is what you're getting to as well. This is where you are, rather, is I'm not here to teach you how to be funny. I'm here, I'm here not to teach you at all. I'm here to expose to you that which you already know, which is your, your heart is huge. And we're looking to find out who it is that you are. 
please show us who that is by telling us what your truth is. Yes, you're talking about authenticity, right? And clearly. Clearly, yes. I, I remember at 21, someone said to me, do you know who you are? And I was such a fraudulent person. I was such a um, entertainer. Da-da-da-da-da, you know, I was mm -hmm. a magician. Um, and I had this act. And, and I didn't even understand the question. And actually, that's what my life is really ab about, is about being more authentic to myself, more honest, and helping other people do so um, by creating um, an act, a product, a book, um, a speech that can um, have a ripple effect of inspiration in the world. Because I believe who we are is directly related to the kind of transformational work we do for others. So it's really not, you can spend a lot of time going, who am I, and be in therapy, but it's really what actions you take, what you do with that, um, and your then success is, see, I think in, in, in my book, Message of You, I, I say there's two stories you have to have. You have to have these two stories. One story, of course, is your own heart story you know, um, your journey from mess to success. Um, and it could be a small journey, a large journey. It could be a journey that happens in a day of something you realized and how it, it transformed your life and makes you who you are. Um, the other story you need is something called a credential story, credibility story. This is how did you take someone from mess to success? So obviously, Dave, you have your, your people you work with in your improv troupe. You might have had somebody who was absolutely scared to death to stand on stage. And next thing you know, they've become a teacher themselves and an improviser. And you took them. Um, and they've become successful. These are the stories that everybody needs on their website, um, that they do in their speech, mm -hmm. because this is evidence of your success. Mm -hmm. Your success and who you are is directly related to how you've impacted somebody. So when I'm helping, let's say, uh, go back to the pharmaceutical industry, and I was helping a guy who speaks for the pharmaceutical industry, and he had a lot of data and statistics and PowerPoints. He just wanted to poke your eyes out with a pencil. It was so freaking boring. So I go, tell me the story of someone your drug has helped. Tell me how it transformed their life. That's the story that you need to tell right, right away. Right. You know? It's a story that isn't based in fact. It's a story that's based in truth and someone's history and life. It's a story of the meaning of the storyteller's life. Right. But it's really not about them. No. So I tell people, people go, well, I don't have one. And then I went, well, you can't speak. Because... You can't speak? How, what do you mean you can't Well, you can't become a professional speaker because when you're standing in front of an audience and you're going to... What you're really saying, I'm going to take you from mess to success. I'm going to transform your life with this speech. I'm going to give you some tips. Mm -hmm. Whatever it is, you're going to have a different way to deal with stress, you're going to have a way to be more fluent, whatever it is, the title of your speech is you're going to be better leaders, mm -hmm. you're going to go from nagging to a position of power, mm -hmm. whatever you're doing. But if you haven't done it with one person, how can you tell a group of people? So I tell people like, 
do, well, why don't you go volunteer someplace? Right. <laughs> you know, why don't you, why don't you come back and like make an effort to help someone's life? Right. Now you have something to talk to because you can't just talk about your childhood and you know and what happened and the things that happened to you because that's what most people think is a story. This happened and this happened and this happened mm -hmm. rather than you know I'm the hero of my life. Right. Rather than I'm the hero of my life. I'm the hero of my life. And what I have that? desire. You can't have a story without you in the story wanting something. Mm -hmm. You know I want to help somebody. Right. It's not if you have a story of things just happening to to you, then you're a passive character in your own story. Right. I think so many people don't give themselves permission to be the hero in their lives. They think that that's bragging or that's um, that's like we need to be humble and we 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 shouldn't push ourselves too much. Which I don't. Why, agree why with is that? that? It's very you know every actor knows, every mm -hmm. actor listening knows, and in every scene your character has, you have to identify what does my character want. And then that guides all the action in the scene. Yes, and how intention. you say I love you is going to be very different if you know you want a divorce. So well, of course I love you. You know, right. or what you know, right. or or you really are trying to get someone back. That's gonna change how you say these these words. Well, in our life, I don't know why it's so difficult for people to admit what they want. In a given, you I know, think instant. that people aren't given permission to say what they want because I I, I don't know that they're. I think that they. So, so uh, our culture has said don't brag. Our culture has said beware of pride. Our culture has said all those things. I got to tell you, when you said you know I don't know if if, if I'm an expert. That's what you said. Um, I feel like I am totally and absolutely an expert. I feel like I know what it is that I do. I feel as though I've got something to say and I have figured out a way, not figured out a way, I have evolved into a way of being able to transfer this information that I have, my energy to you. That I think makes me an expert. I also feel that when I, and I bet you do this mm -hmm. too, that when I do something great, I stop and I go, that was great. I love doing that. I don't think that people give themselves permission to say, I move somebody, I change somebody's life. Um. Well, that's why, see, that's why I created this new book um, about a way to glean every day for those kind of stories because obviously I need to hear them, right? Right. right. So I need, I always, I, I need to, uh, to hear that. When you say I need to, who's I? Me. Me who? Judy. Judy, you need these stories about Judy, or you need these stories when you're when no, you're No, it's like when I get an email and I hear, like, you know, when I first took your class, I was so scared mm -hmm. to get on stage. Got it. And now I'm touring around the country, and Got I want to say thank you. Yes. Uh, I love hearing that. Yes. I don't assume that um, uh, I'm, you know, an expert go around that way because I find that, that thought limiting the same way maybe Stephen Hawking finds it limiting or there's a new movie out called Whiplash and I just saw the preview of it um, the trailer where he said the, the the biggest crime you can tell somebody is that they're good because then they stop pursuing they stop being better it's like it's that I don't I you've got to see the movie because I feel like that's not that's not the movie 
I, I, I haven't seen you know it, I mean? I, but I, I, I love like, that quote because yeah. I feel that myself. As soon as I say, I know exactly what I'm doing. I am such a That's freaking expert. That's different than saying I'm good. That's different yeah. than saying I'm good. Yeah. Because to say I know exactly what I'm doing, I don't know exactly what I'm doing. I do know that I'm good. I do that. I know that I'm good. I also know that I'm very good. Yes. And uh, and that what does that do? That says to me, I walk into a room and I have confidence. And that confidence is to say, I don't have doubt. I walk into that room and I feel like I know what's happening here and I love what's happening here. And you have hired me because you are connected to me because you think that I can help you here. Well, that's awesome. I, I have that in certain areas, certainly with working with my clients. I, I definitely have that confidence. But I've, you know, anybody who stands in front of people um, and does a show, um, I've had that top of my game, and then next week, just couldn't get them. And every single person, every comic knows what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. sure. Is that as soon as you get that arrogance going, that I'm on top of my game, that the game will bring you to your knees. And, and, and that's why I want to say to people who are listening, that if you have self-doubt and if you don't feel confident, welcome to the club. Mm -hmm. right. you, it, you can't wait for confidence or self-doubt to go away to, to have success and be an expert. That people who are recognized as experts, such as myself, have self-doubt, have bouts of lack of confidence, mm -hmm. question themselves. It's, it's, it's a, I don't know if it's just being Jewish or, you know. That's very know. possible too. I don't know. Or my culture or, or whatever it is. This is my true belief. My true belief is that because low self-esteem is a great motivator. Um, it, if you feel like every day wake up feeling confident and everything, why bother doing anything? But if you feel like, God, I've got to make something of myself. Mm -hmm. I hate myself. To me, that's a great motivator. I probably, you know, Mother Teresa probably grew up with her own mother saying, you're such a selfish child, <laughs> Teresa. You, 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 that's all you think of. And then, of course, she's going to go, oh, I am selfish. I'm going to do something good in my life and become a saint. You mm. know, I, I think it's a motivator. I also, But I also feel that there are so more people than not who go, I'm a horrible person or I have self-doubt. I feel that all that I don't believe. I think that you're holding on to a bullshit story that you don't need to tell yourself that anymore. Now, to say, okay, I need to hit bottom before I can get up, uh, before I can keep moving. I think that if you want an epiphany, you've had it. If you feel like I have hit bottom, I really want to increase my, I really want to increase my confidence or my game or my lose my self-doubt, then realize that your attachment to your self-doubt is what brings you self-doubt. But it's also funny. You know, I find like when I taught comedy that people who didn't were very confident weren't as funny as the people who were struggling. And I mean, there's something inherently honest about that and funny about that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the people who had huge self, you know, stage fright. I mean, I had uh, most of my life enormous stage fright till it finally has become manageable um, where now I don't like throw up before I go on. 
but I had enormous, enormous stage fright. Mm -hmm. And and what I realized about it, though, is very helpful, is I realized that I have talent, and my talent before I go on stage is I can't feel my talent. Like, and so I'm in my brain going, oh, if they do this, I'll die. It'll be humiliation, all this fear. But when I hit the stage, this talent shows up, and I get on, and I ride it like a wild horse, and it's just fantastic. Mm-hmm. And now I have, now I realize when I get scared, I go, oh, because you're not using your talent now. Your talent, you're just in your living room worried about the gig. Your right. talent is not here. So, you know, I think it's really great to observe oneself when you are on stage or in front of people and feel that talent that takes over and also leave room for it to show up. Mm-hmm. Like if you overplan what you do is a disaster. You, if, if you overplan what to do and then don't surrender it when you need to. Yeah, like I always plan what I do, mm-hmm. but I always leave moments and gaps for things to happen and to react to and play with that tension and... and um, that's really fun. So, it's interesting to say that you 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 forget your talent, or you because really what I'm hearing is you're engaging in doubt and outcome as opposed to the excitement that you get when you're on stage, which is that moment where you go, "I am my genuine self in this moment." Prior to that, when for me, I feel like so much of, of stage fright is the is. Uh, Rehearsing for something that you hope doesn't happen is that worry of going, oh my God, I really hope that that doesn't happen, as opposed to just saying, I'm here right now. The outcome is going to be the outcome, and that's what's going to happen. I don't get stage fright prior to my going on to improvise or to teach or anything like that. I don't have that. I have that when I have a script going, I have to memorize the script because everybody else is counting on me for the script. If I'm going to be speaking in front of a group of people, I'm going to just unfold and furl, evolve, and let that happen. But it's mm. interesting to call it, you're not allowing your talent to come through. Because really what you're saying, what I'm hearing, is you're not allowing your you-ness to come through. Your- well, I, to me, you-ness is vague because there's so many aspects. My bitchy you-ness, my, <laughs> you know, there's so many aspects of you. Mm-hmm. I've found that um, when... I am writing my speech, and I'm, there's some fear involved. It's like, will they like this? Will this work? Will they relate to that? There's a lot of thinking involved in, in that process. Fear? Because I don't think it's fear. I think it's thinking. Well, what happens, though, is what I have found is that when you get in front of a crowd, it's not about being perfect. You know, all of a sudden, huge chunks I will just not do. Because when I'm writing it, I'm not in my, in that um, intense moment of authenticity in front of an audience where it doesn't feel right to do. So it might have felt right yesterday or might have felt right in the shower. And also when I was teaching stand-up and we, everybody would showcase the Hollywood Improv, we've had people who are so scared, they're so scared of forgetting their act. So they do their act. And it's not going well. And then it comes to a point where they forgot and they can't remember. And they and I've always say to them, just say, just don't stand there. Let the audience know what's happening. You go, I forgot my act. 
And what happens at that moment is always magical. They get a big laugh. They go, oh, gosh, Judy, can I have a refund? Or they start making jokes about, like, they forgot it. And the audience starts applauding. And then when they remember their act, it's it's always works from that point on. When they, get, when they, when they pick up. Yeah, so the mm -hmm. biggest fear of forgetting your act actually is the best thing that could happen to you. Because you're suddenly becoming real. Yeah. And what does it mean to be real is to reveal your imperfections. Right. And, you know, that's why I guess I, I am constantly getting a lot of mileage from my imperfections because I have so many of them. Mm -hmm. But nobody wants to really listen to someone who is perfect because it sounds arrogant. It also, I think that it also feels like nobody wants, I don't want to watch a story that, of a day that works out well. Mm. Well, I want it to work out well if it starts with a real, real mess. Agreed. Agreed. But uh, but for me, well, I woke up and um, and it was like green lights all the way to work and I got to work and there was a cupcake on my desk and then I went to lunch and they bought me lunch today. It was my birthday. And then I got a bonus and check in the mail and the boss said, go home early. And I went home. My wife had food cooking for me already. And, and you go, all right, where's... Yeah, it would have been much better if the coconut was a had peanuts in it and you had a peanut allergy. I was just saying. I, and it blew like, up and then you go to right. Cedar sinai and right. they don't know what it is right. and you can't talk because your tongue is so thick. Yep. Yep. For me, and they I don't hear peanuts, they hear something yep. else. Yep. Yeah, I like that. And, and, and then you eventually go, and then my wife showed me the letter, um, it turns out I have cancer. And you go, okay, all right, good. Now, now there's a reason to watch this thing. This is the moment that that person says, I don't remember my act because you're waiting. You, we know that you're not remembering. See, that's what your I act. try and tell people. You're not in a miserable marriage. It's comedy material. Exactly. You uh, don't have the boss from hell. It's a heckler. I mean, there's nothing. I have found with comedy that there's nothing can't spin to comedy. Right. Let's end there. Boy, oh boy, that's a good place to end. Okay. Thank you so much. There's nothing that you can't spin to comedy. Or I could say. Um, there's nothing you can't spin into comedy, you know? I mean, let's say your your kid got arrested on, on the TV show Cops. It's like, I have a relative in show business. <laughs> Thank you for listening to ADD Comedy. For Dave Rosowski, I'm Ian Foley. For more information on Dave, you can go to his website at www.davidrosowski.com or follow Dave on Twitter at drosowski.